0: Heavenly Father, thank you that this morning we can come before you just as we are, Uh, whether we come uh, with rejoicing in our hearts, whether we come uh, aware of uh, the extent of our sin, whether we feel uh, the fightings within and the fears without, uh, whether we're in need of a word of comfort, a word of hope this morning. Thank you that when we open the scriptures, when we open our Bibles, uh, your spirit Uh, Breathe these words into existence, continues to breathe them uh, into life in our lives. We pray that that would continue to be true uh, for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And please do have a seat. I wonder this morning, if if you were given a challenge of just using eight words to tell somebody... Something about Jesus. What would be your eight words? If I set you the challenge, if I told you to get your service sheet and a, and a pen, uh, and on the on the back in that little in the little gap of the, on the back page to, to write just eight words about Jesus. What would you do? What would you say? Which words would you reach for? And perhaps that's a challenge you want you want to take up this morning. And, and as I speak, you could be. Uh, thinking that through, uh, or later on in the week. Perhaps instinctively you might go to John chapter 3 verse 16 and you sort of start going, for God so loved the world that he, oh too many words. Or, or perhaps you go, well Acts would be a great place to do the early church proclaiming Jesus. Uh, and maybe go somewhere like uh Chapter four, where Peter and John they've been arrested, they're put before the rulers and the elders and the and the chief priests and the teacher of the law, and they stand up and they say, Salvation is found in no one else. And you go, Oh, it's seven, uh, seven, seven words and one under. See, so where can I go? Where can I go next? Where where else? How about Paul 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, This is the gospel that I received and I passed on to you, and I'm reminding you of. And you go, Christ died for our Sins according to the script. scriptures, it's nine words. Maybe we could go to Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. Do a little rewording. Move the words around a little bit. We might get to Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Eight. Maybe those would be the eight words you go for. Maybe you would choose eight very different words this morning. Jonah chapter three, there is a miracle the miracle of the eight-word sermon. Now, I'm not a mind reader, but some of you are thinking, yes, that would be a miracle. Tom, take note, eight-word sermon sounds great. But actually, uh, the miracle of Jonah's eight-word sermon is, is not the number of words he uses. It's so much more than that. You can find his eight-word sermon, second, second part of, of verse four, where he, he predates 40 more days, and Nineveh, will be overthrown. A miracle of Jonah's eight words, so it's not a number of words. We don't actually know if Jonah only said these eight words. I guess he probably said more. We're told, aren't we, that he goes a day's journey into this great city of Nineveh, proclaiming. So he either said these eight words many times, or he probably used some other words. But we've got this eight-word summary. And the miracle of the eight-word sermon points us to the same thing, the miracle of the big fish, that perhaps has been our focus uh, earlier in the the first two chapters of Jonah is. Same thing it points us to, God's mercy. That the God of the Bible, the God who meets us in the person of Jesus, is the God of matchless mercy. He's the God of second chances. In Jonah chapter 3, we see both Jonah... And the Ninevites experience God's mercy. They get to experience God's second chance. And the Holy Spirit this morning says to us that through Jesus, that is and can be our experience of God's tea. And for us to consider what our response to the God of mercy, the God of second chances is. So first we, we see Jonah's second chance. there we uh, Just look how, how it begins in Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We, we know, don't we? We're familiar with the story. God has already sent Jonah to preach against Nineveh. And it wasn't a task like some of the tasks we have, where we simply forget about it. I suspect you're not going to forget when God calls you and says, go and tell this message to your violent worst enemy." I don't think you're going to forget that task. I don't think it was a task like some of the tasks we do where we just simply run out of time. We don't quite get round to doing it. Jonah was a prophet. He was a messenger from God, telling God's people and the surrounding nations what God has said was his job. So it's not that he forgot. It's not that he ran out of time. It was because the task God gave Jonah was a task Jonah wanted nothing to do with because he didn't want God to have anything to do with these horrible Ninevites in case he did what God does and showed mercy to them. So Jonah, we know, runs away spectacularly from his task and ultimately from God. And God could have, and perhaps us knowing the story might feel that God should have, let Jonah go, given up on him, let him run, let him sink to the bottom of the sea. But praise God that he didn't. Instead of being swallowed by the sea, Jonah is swallowed by the big fish that baffles us. Praise God for that big fish. Praise God because it shows us that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of second chances. Even for Jonah. The miracle of Jonah's eight-word sermon is that Jonah actually comes around to preach it in Nineveh. All because Jonah experiences God's mercy, God's second chance. And Jonah's just not a, he's not a special case. Because Jonah chapter 3 also leads us to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites getting the second chance from God. I wonder when I ask you those those eight words you'd use to say something to somebody about Jesus. I wonder how they would compare to what Jonah says in his message in chapter 4. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. My, my guess is between us, we don't immediately go to draw attention to God's judgment. But Jonah does. And notice that his eight words are not just his words. We're told they're God's message. Verse 2, God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, to it to the message I give you. So in Jonah chapter 3, we encounter the living God, the God of the Bible, the God who is holy, who takes sin seriously because it's against who God is. It goes against what God is like, and it goes against what any of us were created for. God wants the Ninevites to know what they're heading towards because of it. And the Ninevites, well, their reputation was awful. The reputation was one of evil and violent ways. This is, this is how a prophet Nahum uh, describes uh, Nineveh and the people of Nineveh about 100 years later in, in chapter 3 uh, of Nahum. It says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over their corpses. Are you going to put your summer holiday there? It was still well clear. And just pause for a moment with a description like that. Why on earth does God send Jaina to a people like this? With an eight-word sermon just glance down at verse 6 uh, and how Jonah, Jonah's message is described. You see, it's, it's talked of being a warning. Do you see that? Now, if we were to travel, I think, about 12 miles in about that direction, uh, you'd find yourself in Swithland Woods. Middle of Swithland Woods is the old slate quarry uh, that's now full of water. Uh, and it's fenced off and so that of every meter around this fence are these big signs that say danger. Do not enter. Risk of death. Those signs are there so that when we're on our walks and we come up towards them, we don't carry on in that direction. We we turn around. We avoid disaster. God sends Jonah with his warning. So the Ninevites might respond similarly. They might turn around. They might avoid heading headfirst into disaster from God. Now it turns out there's a bit of a wordplay in Jonah's eight-word sermon. It gets a bit lost in us with our English translations. When Jonah talks about Nineveh being overthrown, That the words behind that, well, it, yeah, it means destruction. But it's sometimes used to talk of a change of heart as well. So if you like Jonah's message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned or turned around. God's warning of Nineveh being overturned is that they would turn around. And isn't that exactly what happens? Verse 5, we read, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And God's response, final verse, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he, he relented and, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It's not that God changed his mind. It's that the Ninevites changed their minds and turned their lives around. Praise God for what he did. He did. In Nineveh, through Jonah's words. Praise God that there is nobody on this planet too bad, too far off from God. In Jonah chapter 3, we have this miracle of Jonah's eight-word sermon. And it points us to the God we worship being a merciful God. A God of second chances. The God who shows mercy to Jonah. The God who shows mercy to the Nineveh. And this morning, I, I suspect it's so easy, I know it's so easy, to think about myself and those around me and think, well, we are so far away from that description of Nineveh that we find in that What's this got to do with me? But when Jesus entered into history, he didn't let anybody think like that for terribly long. Our records of our lives might be much less bloody than, than that of the Ninevites. But dig down, scratch under the surface, and, and Jesus says there's anger. There's lustful looks. There's, there's not being true to our words. There's the demanding to get our own way. There's only loving the people who are like us or love us. You see, you can be in, in real danger. You can be traveling headlong into disaster from God while looking pretty respectable and fitting in very well with the world around us. What does Jesus say to this one? In Matthew chapter 5, we we hear him uh, speak in pretty frank terms. He says, if your right eye causes you uh, to stumble, what what are you to do? You need to gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? You need to cut it off and throw it away. He says it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We're to take our sin seriously, whatever it looks like, because Jesus does. Look at his words. Look at his warnings. Because of what sin meant for Jesus. Look at his cross. And look where sin leads people, headlong into the disaster that is hell. And so the first response to the God of mercy, the God of second chances, is to repent, to turn around like the Ninevites did. Whether whether it's for the first time this morning, or I suspect that for many of us, uh, whether it's that daily habit of turning again to the Lord. And the king of Nineveh, when he gives his decree, his announcement in in verses 7 and 8, he gives a pretty good picture of what repentance looks like, what it feels like, what it involves. The people and animals were well, to fast and wear sackcloth, were to grieve our sin, to know how damaging it is, to know how costly it is, even small disobedience. The king says the people are to call urgently on God. For a long time, I was I was reading that as uh, they were to call gently on God, and I was like, I don't quite get that. And then I realised there's a hyphen, urgently on God. It's only God, in his mercy, who can do anything about our situation. Sin leaves a stain that none of us, by our own efforts, can get rid of. And the Ninevites were told to give up their evil ways, their violence. We're to give up the things that have no place in the life of a Christian in God's eyes. Not just to avoid disaster, but that we might echo Paul in Philippians 3, when he says, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. I've lost everything. I treat everything as if it was rubbish that I might gain Christ. King finishes, doesn't he? Verse 9, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. We will not perish. You know, this morning, we don't have to say that. We can say, we know. We know through faith in Jesus, God has relented. He has, with compassion, turned from his fierce anger. We will not perish. Because Jesus perished on the cross, taking God's anger on himself for our sin in our place. We know. Not who knows, we know. Yet reading around Jonah, many people seem to question how real, how true this repentance really is. I mean, a hundred years later, Prophet Nahum is describing Nineveh with the words I used earlier. Have they really repented? Or we can turn to Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus certainly seems to think that they did. It seems where things must have gone wrong, then was that the generations that followed did not know the God of mercy, did not experience God's second chances. This year, one of our priorities here at St. Luke's is to be growing our work with youth and children. Why have we we got that as a priority? For this very reason. The first response uh, is repentance, to to turn around. Second response to God's mercy, to God's second chances, is to speak up. That's Jonah's response, isn't it? He speaks up. Just like Jonah, we know something and have experienced something of God's mercy, of God's second chances. And so we're to speak of God's warning and of God's mercy to, to those around us. This morning, who who are the people you've perhaps tried to say something about Jesus to, but bottled it? God's mercy says to you and to me this morning, have another go. This morning, who are those people that you've tried to say something to in the past, but it just felt like your words were weak or silly? They just didn't sound right. In Jonah chapter 3, God saved thousands through an eight-word sermon. What were the eight words you thought of at the start? Who could you say those eight words to this week? This morning, who are the people who in your mind feel like the Ninevites who seem the furthest away from Jesus? God's mercy says, why not share your faith? With them too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that throughout the pages of this book of Jonah, you reveal yourself by your Spirit as a God who is merciful, a God of second chances. Thank you so much. That's not because you um, you don't think sin matters. You're not moved by uh, wrongdoing. but because of the depth of your love for those you've made. That you, by your mercy, motivated by your love, sense yourself in Jesus to come to us, to take the penalty for our sin, to open your life back up to us. And we might experience your mercy. We might know again and again and again your second chance. I pray that we would be people marked out by a uh, turning around in our lives. Maybe that first big moment, but then each day those little moments of choosing you. And maybe be a people who, who speak up and, and declare that there is a, a God who turns lives around. And we pray for each one of us here this morning. Would you give us an opportunity? Eight words or less maybe. We don't have to say everything in one go. To have the opportunity of saying something about Jesus uh, to someone who does not yet follow him. Would you pour out your spirit on our lives for us to be able to do that? Amen.